This is a headgum podcast. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, Hofflings! It's me, Jasper William Cartwright, and I am joined today by... Let's tell you, Olivia. Oh, it's me. Oh, yeah, it's always you. Se- it's always you seconds. Always I you seconds. I always go third. It's, it, oh, the joke yeah. Jeremy always goes well third. Anymore, but... <laughs> we should have probably should have got it before. Uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Olivia Kennedy, but some people call me Libby Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever explained to you, Livia, why we actually started doing this in the first place? No, and then I also just panic because I was like, oh, I have to come up with something funny. Oh, no. You, 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 you can just say live. It's no, you fine. Can just you can just do live. You can just do live. All you the mean, pressure is on Jeremy. You Don't yeah. try and relieve to... any pressure from oh, Jeremy. The, so, I feel it would be wrong to... Let's finish the introductions, but uh, guest mm. who, who we have not named yet, would you be mm. okay if I briefly explain? to live exactly why we do the nickname thing, just to clear up the confusion. And I'm Eric, who's not a three black Catholic. Yeah, so uh, the deal here is uh, the previous Eric, host if you can just show. take five. Uh, yeah, just, take, just do a quick lap. Just do a quick lap. Alright, I'm gonna just stretch over here. Put your feet up, buddy. Put your feet up, buddy. For anyone, for Liv and anyone who has recently started listening to the show, uh, our the previous host, Luyanda Unati Lewis Niao, went specifically by Unati, yet they would always introduce themselves as Lu- Luyanda Unati Lewis Niao, but everybody calls me Unati. But the thing is, if you don't want people to call you Luyanda, just... Just don't tell them your name is Luyanda. Just say, my name is Unati Luis Niao. And that was what I, we had this conversation on air. So mm-hmm. this, you could go back and find the episode where I was like, <laughs> can hear the origin. Yeah. I was like, why do you keep introducing with four <laughs> names when you, if you just want one? <laughs> like, just cut off all names. Whereas prior. I introduced with three and I want all three yes. every time. Jasper mm-hmm. William Cartwright. Uh, every name. single time. Uh, every time. And oh, so yeah, I mom, started. Oh, hey. Yeah, no, I'm not doing anything. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I haven't. I haven't been on New- uh, Eric. <laughs> I haven't been on New York that? Times cooking in a while. No, I should try that recipe. You're right. Oh, hey, and Jeremy, please, for the love of God, introduce yourself. Jeremy Cobb, but Gloss and Gadgets calls me Heart Cobb, like heart throb. Oh. So, so sweet. And uh, yes, yes, you are, Jeremy. But today I'm very excited (laughs) to announce this uh, very exclusive announcement that you absolutely had no idea about previously. That today we have a special guest. He is the DM for Join the Party and the head creative over at Multitude Podcasting Studio. That is right. Eric Silva. Welcome to Three Black Halflings. Are you still on the phone to your mom? Yeah, mom, you need to put in twice as much salt. They don't they don't tell you to put in enough. Oh, I gotta go. Right. I'm doing a podcast thing. Hold on. Oh hey! Are we gonna be able to edit out all of the mom stuff? Like there was some personal things in there. Yeah, yeah. if you could cut out all of the places where my mom tried to tell me that uh, my wedding was about her, that would be really nice. <laughs> 
dungeon of the wrong dragon? <laughs> Full prince vibe? Woof! <laughs> this makes them even more black! Cake glitches and bitches! Lands in the cusp of the peaceful into something real big now. I just want to say that my mom is delightful and she's not doing that. But I'm able to say that because I know for a fact she won't listen to this because I've been doing Join the Party for like four or five years now and she still just like doesn't understand what's happening. To the point... We went to a live show of a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. She lives in Nashville. I was visiting her. It just so happened that there was a live show happening. And we went. So she, like, watched one happen. And she's like, oh, I get it. They, like, do stuff. And then they tell a story. And there's some games. So she gets it. And, like, now she knows how to listen to podcasts on Spotify. And she wants to be on all of my podcasts. But she still doesn't understand what I'm doing here. Well, first of all, she's always welcome on Three Black Halflings. No. And, uh, second of all, I 100% understand with multiple family members being like, I listened to the most recent episode. Two thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're having fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're enjoying yourself. You get paid. You you get paid for that. Okay. Are you sure you it's not demonic, or is that just me? <laughs> yeah. Is it is it uh is your soul safe? Um, no. No. Anyway, speaking of Eric Silver, I thought you were going to say speaking today. of keeping your soul safe, not something <laughs> no, you know I have to worry about. I went there. We've invited I went, Eric I, Silver on. I reached. I reached for that like what? for that transition, and then immediately saw what it was and went. No, I no, no, saw no, no, you no, do no, it. I'm, I'm like, no, Jasper, yeah. that was good. I like that. You know, there's like those lists that come out that it's like if you want to go to Christian mm-hmm. heaven, you have to avoid these <laughs> things. And there's like yeah. Harry Potter on there, tarot's on yeah. there, like tarot chips are on there too. And so we're like, so it's like Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons and Jews. So, like, no, you were there. Yeah. You were right there. <laughs> You're right there, right there. Um, but uh, so, for anyone who hasn't actually already uh, uh, heard of Eric, which would be completely and utterly wild, uh, you have to go back and listen to Eric uh, DM for us here on Three Black Halflings, the Maximum Carnage one shot, which was genuinely some of the most fun I've had playing D and D. I played the influencer, a truly diabolical superhero, supervillain, uh, and it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, and it was indeed wall-to-wall kind. I, hold on, before Jeremy, please do your voice for that you did oh, for yeah. Max Maximum Carnage. Oh, yeah. oh my god. Uh, I played Sam, uh, a.k.a. Sam Ale. I'm a <laughs> fellow who lives at home uh, with his parents uh, and has a, has a pet goldfish, and I'm oh. also uh, a, an avatar of death. With a horse that feeds on the bloody notes. Yes. That one, honestly, in the episode, I had so much fun actually mixing that so that, that Philip had a truly demonic voice, and it was really... It was so uh, good. Just Eric in a demonic voice going, Papa. It was really quite Papa, fun. I need some um, oats. Feed me the I dead oats. the bloody oats, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Eric, uh, for those of you, uh, for those of our audience who doesn't know you specifically, we have to ask you the question which we start off with all of our guests, which is your origin story. Story. So, please, Eric Silver, tell us where did you first get into nerdy stuff and TTRPG? Wonderful question. Thank you. Uh, I have been a big fucking nerd my whole life. Ooh. I guess it just kind of happened. My mom very much opened the door to just reading in general. She was an English major in college, and mm. she, especially, uh, she wrote her thesis on F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, which mm. I didn't realize before, but like, specifically, 
but at the time, it's like when you think about one book or one author for such a long period of time, that is where the shit posting starts. And I didn't realize it. Like she was telling me like shit posts of like literature for a very long time. Do, do you, have you three read Great Expectations? Yes, I, I haven't read it. No. Okay, well, no. Great Expectations, big buildings, Roman, very large book. Uh, Dickens, Dickens, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, Dickens. Yeah, yeah he's Dickens. one of those fuckers. Charlie Dix. There. Chuck yeah. Dix. Yeah, Chuck yeah, yeah, Dix. Yeah, guys. Chuck Dix. Yeah, yeah. That's, his, that's um, what we call him. That's his nickname. It's a street name. <laughs> Chuck Dix. <laughs> it's basically a young boy like getting money from a benefactor to become like a better person, and his benefactor is this woman named Miss Havisham. Miss Havisham is like ninety years old. Old, mm-hmm. And she's always wearing uh, her wedding dress from yep. uh, because she got oh. run out on the altar and she did not cope with that well at all. And there's oh, a really? m- she's still wearing a wedding dress. Yeah, <laughs> like it's mold, it's moldering over. It's so nasty. It's so incredibly Ooh, nasty. Yeah. Oh. That would be so insulting every time somebody refers to her as Miss Havisham. She's just like, I know you don't have to remind me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rub it in. Yeah. Come on. Like luckily she has enough money to like ruin their lives if that ever happens. Okay. Uh, oh, okay, good. So Fine. there's a good. moment in the book where she. She's like, oh, yes, I am giving you a lot of money. You need to become a man and all this stuff. We're like, she's standing so close to her fireplace that it lights on her wedding dress lights on fire. And like my mom and I for a very long time would just like shit post at each other. I've now realized just like make jokes and be like, oh, yeah, like Miss Havisham of lighting up on fire. You know what? With your wedding dress, you don't want to light up like that. And uh, like something like Gatsby. So like I I read so much as a kid. I Mm -hmm. like constantly reading. I my mom still tells me that in fourth grade I got lunch detention for reading during class and then the oh, entire wow. lunch detention I was reading uh, I think it was scary stories to tell in the dark if I remember correctly because that the mm-hmm. re- weird fucking cover uh, mm. you know the thing I still remember all that stuff um, mm. so yeah no I was reading I was reading a ton and I feel like I was doing that and then of course like I picked up other nerdy stuff um, you know I, I was playing a ton of video games uh, I was writing poetry. I got into that a lot in high school. Um, and yeah, just like lots lots of stuff like that. Uh, I my, I have a twin brother. I don't know if the, if, if oh, wow. you what? all do that. Oh, wow. What's your yeah. twin brother's Whoa, name? Identical? No, we look very different. My brother, he's like, okay. Okay. my brother's like five foot ten and like 140 wet. <laughs> like we, we're very different. Um, it's so but, wild when somebody reveals they're a twin because it's just like there are two of you. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. yeah. It, it's like no, we were just issued at the same time. There were definitely yeah. Yeah. not two of us. You were definitely limited oh. edition, but yes. it was just released at the same time. Exactly. I actually, a story on this topic. Uh, when I was at drama school, there was. Uh, every year, my specific course would do a site-specific, like, immersive show. And mm. that year, the the year above me were the ones who were putting it on. And unbeknownst to the course director, one of them had a, an, an identical twin brother. Oh, my God. And so oh. he walked out to see the audience and saw what appeared to be one of his actors just out of costume, hanging out <laughs> 15 minutes before the show. And my course director is many things but calm under fire is not one of them and so he absolutely loses it at this guy and like you get this dude who is just like what and has no idea who he is meanwhile uh backstage i guess the brother is like 
wow, can't wait for my brother to come see this show. It's gonna be real exciting. And he's just getting berated by this guy he does not know. He's really anxious. I'm so glad I talked him out of the house. Wow, I'm so glad that my brother, who never comes to my theater performances, is finally coming to see me. It's gonna be really nice for me to see him out of the audience. I hope it nothing bad happens to him. I think he came from Wales too. I think he came all the way to London from Wales to see this play. Oh. And the thing is, knowing most course directors like in, in England as well, I can't imagine that this guy played it off very well either. Mm. I can imagine that he was probably still like, well, you know, you shouldn't be just yeah. talking. Or whatever. I, mean, I can it's imagine him just being like super weird and defensive about it, even it's though he knows it's clearly in the wrong. It yeah. different. You should have grown a beard. Yeah. A mullet just, just walks away. <laughs> One of you should gain weight. Fix it. <laughs> you should yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> gain weight. Gain substantial amounts of weight. Incredible. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, so yeah, I have a twin brother, and we spent a lot of time playing games together. It's always nice having someone to compete against. Um, we would play a lot of MMORPGs. Like, we would have two computers. Mm. He had a laptop. He was very techy very early on. He was really into Maple Story. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it was like mm-hmm. one of those like online MMORPGs where like you, where people like tr- taught themselves how to like dupe items and stuff like that. So, very early stuff. We played like Guild Wars and oh. Guild Wars 2. Like, we spent mm-hmm. a lot of time doing that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I was just like playing video games uh, and a lot of that stuff all throughout high school. Uh, in college, I got really into Poetry Slam. I, I set up the NYU slam team when I was in college, and we wow. won, like, three championships. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> Did you guys three-peat? Would you go back-to-back? It was, like, I think over four years we won three times. Because, uh, okay. like, the first year we had just started. And then, like, well, I was I went to grad school also at NYU, so maybe that year they also won. But, like, yeah, we won the ch- the world, the world college championships multiple times. If you, I can't believe we're here with a champ. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think he's going to be a normal champ. guy. And then he busts out the Super Bowl ring. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, wow, my, my impressive. massive ring I have for poetry. Yeah. <laughs> like, he huge slam poetry ring. ring. You ever think about going slam back to ring? college yeah. just to get back in the game, man? <laughs> Complete the set, get a whole hand's worth of rings. Yeah, just so that I can talk about my, five, I, can, I can talk about my trauma in three minutes with some other 22-year-olds who are talking about their trauma. <laughs> uh, uh, my my like trophy a, is on my desk in the multitude office. I was going to say, do you have like a memento or something, you like gotta, a frame picture of you on a stage? We gotta, yeah, no, we I will grab it. We have to screenshot this thing and really Yeah, we it. absolutely have to. Oh, we I will 100% it. Yeah, grab it. It's on my, it's on my desk. I will, I will definitely grab amazing. it. Um, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it's funny, now thinking about it, the Slam community is very similar to the tabletop RPG community, like the indie mm. tabletop RPG community, in terms of like getting things that are recognized on the internet. Um, this mm. was around the, the advent of like YouTube channels, people being very like self-aware of their YouTube channel. This was like 2011. So mm. if they would clip a video and put it on YouTube, there was like a few channels that would do this, and then someone's poem would go viral. So there was very much like a trying to get recognized on the internet sort of thing. This was also early mm. Twitter at the same time. So a lot of that stuff about like trying to recognition of creative work, and then like, is there any money here? Like, can my job be full-time poet? Was always like a thing that was there. It's like, well, I keep competing and I keep doing well in these contests. Is this a job? Can I tour? I need that fame to tour. So very much of what we see mm. 
an indie tabletop RPG Twitter right now. Um, so like seeing going into that, I'm like, oh, I recognize this. This was me when I was 22. <laughs> ah, before. Going yeah. to SUNY Oneonta and doing a competition and sleeping on someone's floor. That is a university in upstate New York for all of you British people. For all of you British people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Americans, I feel like I've never heard of this place either. Yeah. You, you definitely would not. It's like four hours north of New York City. It's part of the, the SUNY, the state uh, New York schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it was stuff like that. Um, and then I had always been interested in tabletop RPGs, especially in the boom that happened right when I was getting out of college. Um, that was around the time that uh, Critical Role and the Adventure Zone started, when Community had their tabletop RPG shows. I think the first season of Stranger Things had started. So I very much was part of the boom. The only version of, D- of D&D I've ever played is 5th edition. But I was there mm-hmm. when, it's, when it first started. And I'm like, I would love to play this. This sounds fun. I'm creative. I would love to act. Like, whatever. So uh, I played one game with a group of people who used a grid in which I've never Mm. played with someone who had like an actual grid mat that I'd done before. (laughs) I played Eerie Gold Bottle who is a halfling ranger because I wanted to ride a mastiff into mm-hmm. battle, I had read the player's handbook all the way through, and I was like, oh, small creatures can ride big dogs, so I'm going to play a small <laughs> creature, so that eventually when I get to level three, I will. We played one session, I was level one, I did like one thing, and I got eaten by a harpy. Uh, no! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, no! No! That's so, that's so sad. So tragic. No. It was tragic. <laughs> it was, it was tragic. Um, and then, uh, I had tried to get into a different game with some friends with some friends of mine, especially a show. Um, I'd been on a show called Spirits, which is uh, Amanda McLaughlin and Julia Shafini's show uh, on Multitude. But that was when it first started. I had done one of the first episodes of Spirits, which was about golems. Uh, and uh, I, they were like, yeah, we want to play D&D. Do you want to play? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then Julia... <laughs> was going to DM, and then she's like, I don't want to DM, this is too much work. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm DMing now. And, <laughs> and, uh, it appears to be me. It is me okay. doing it. And I loved, those games were really fun. We played like a few sessions. We had, a, we had a lot of time, and I kind of figured this out. I was listening to The Adventure Zone back when it, they were still doing Balance. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting my head around it. I still remember... The time when I realized I might have be good at this was that I had to scrap a session because someone couldn't make it. So I was flipping through the monster manual and like, fuck, I got to come up with something. And I saw the Koa Toa, uh, you know, the little fish dudes who run around. Yeah. And if they all believe it enough, Love they us. create a god. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds like that sounds like um, startup startups like asking people for what they want like a, like a focus group so i had I, so i had like an adventurer's focus group try pulled together and i had them like write out this stuff while we were doing it like a game within a game and then they had pulled this stuff together and the koatoa turned it into a god that, that destroyed like a town that they had to deal with and i made one of my players cry because of the scene at the end uh, because she Whoa. like her character saw this like god that was like part displacer beast as part of like her father and then i made her cry and that was also julia and i'm like yeah maybe i'm good at this yeah <laughs> it's just like the moment you make a player cry is is it's tip top really it really just is. i read you just read you're <laughs> constantly reaching for it yeah yeah, yeah. always yeah. and you feel like as well and it's what is absolutely like anything in life if you reach too hard it, it, it stops like as soon as you sense it and you push for it a little bit too hard everyone mm-hmm. people shut off you got to really you got to trust yourself you got to trust the moment you got to be in it 
it's a it's a fine line. It's a fine balance uh, making a player cry. But it's those sweet tears. Yeah, Ooh, I, I realize this is like the only context that you're like, oh yeah, I really wanted to make that person cry. I'm so glad they yeah. did. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up. I grew up with a little pot and collect the tears. My players. <laughs> yes. The other, it, ironically or coincidentally, the other arena in which you want to make somebody cry is also called DMing. Uh, Dungeon Master. <laughs> uh, it's just a very. <laughs> Unsubscribe. <My idea>. <laughs> wow. I love how you waited just for Eric to have a sip of uh, water as you did as you uh, dropped that joke as well. Uh, well timed. Well, don't worry, well Jeremy. It wasn't giving me a spit take because I did thumbs down. Yeah. 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 Jer- he just did a thumbs down on this uh, on this audio podcast. But I'm glad we. Uh, Eric was thoroughly clarified. unimpressed. <laughs> Uh, yeah and then from there we started joining the party I met Brandon who is uh, our player and our editor and sound designer at a job that was so fucking terrible Uh, but he also taught me how to edit and how to record uh, how to record audio and then we both were like hey we both like the adventure zone but like those first few episodes are so rough what if we made a show that was like (laughs) tried to be good from the jump with all the learnings that would happen there Mm. and that's what we tried to do and that's when joining the party was born we got Amanda on board, who I'd known from Spirits, and then that everything that we had done there eventually became Multitude, which is a podcast collective and studio. And a lot of the stuff that we we've been doing and learning on Join the Party has been the basis of our job now, like full time podcasting. And uh, Multitude is just out here, out here, man. Thank you. Uh, no, it's such a such a cool thing, and uh, it's such a you know, it's it's the end goal, right? I think the idea of being able to uh, do this full time and and help other creatives do do their stuff and do what they're good at as well. I think that's a really really cool uh, and very admirable thing to to be doing. Um, and uh, just quickly jumping back to what you were saying about DMing as well, I think that we've might have said this before, but I don't know if you found this, but I think there's a real sweet spot of like of when you go to start DMing, when it's like you know just enough to be able to do it, mm-hmm. but not enough to be like, holy crap, this is terrifying. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so many rules. You know what I mean? I feel like you. you if it sounded like you were really in that uh, in that zone, in that sweet spot of like, yeah, I think I could do this. Yeah, I'll wing it. It's the uh, Orson Welles, the, Citizen uh, Kane sweet spot where, like, mm, you may have directed a couple of era-defining plays, but you haven't made a movie before. But how hard could it be, really? Yeah. And so you just try a bunch of stuff, and then who knows? It, and maybe it ends up being great. And then it's, it's, it's great. Give me one second. I'm tweeting that Jeremy thinks I'm Orson Welles. Give me one yeah. second. <laughs> I mean, look, you got, the, you got the beard. You got the beard and the hair. You got the beard. You're on yeah, your you got way. The beard. Oh, and I can just, I'll talk about champagne while drunk. It's fine. Yes. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. What's this? Something something farm remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> I absolutely love the idea that from now on, Eric Silver just has the quote, mm. kind of like Orson Welles. <laughs> like, Jeremy Cobb, <laughs> next to everything. I'm tweeting this right now. Just give me one second. <laughs> Please put it in your Twitter bio. I don't like that Orson Welles. so like funny. He's immortalized. The Orson Welles of podcasting. Kind of like the Orson Welles of podcasting, podcasting. <laughs> said tweet. 
That's what we in the business call a tease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Hold well, on, that, it's very loud. The police are coming to get me in New York City. Oh, Apparently, oh. I'm talking about my favorite stuff. <laughs> it's because, it's Turns out the police in New York, not a big fan of Orson Welles. Yeah. Um, so, very, uh, they very found offended by the Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah. Oh, that's what the yeah. New York City police are doing. They're looking for the original cut. That's why you, when you call them, they don't do, do fucking don't shit. Do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> They're busy with uh, other truly, things. Truly, yeah. truly wild. But maybe we should, maybe we should steer away from one uh, uh, risky topic of the New York police. So go to another one, which is Jewish representation in TTRPGs. How about that one? Yeah, so Ooh, much safer, and decent... everyone's gonna agree with me. Yeah, <laughs> that was a decent twist there, or a decent tra- uh, transition there. Nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. But no, I genuinely, this is something that I was very keen to talk to you about. Jeremy had first suggested having you on to talk about a little bit about this because I definitely know for a fact it's one of the a blind spot that I have. I've I've sort of started in the last few years as. I think a lot of people have to try and uh, work out where these blind spots that we may have are and, and exist. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, it would be uh, incredible to talk a little bit about that. And I guess specifically as well about the use of um, of, of golems in uh, D&D and what they have kind of been morphed and turned into by Wizards of the Coasts. Absolutely. Um, I would love that. And first of all, I want to say that this show very much helps me with my blind spots. So thank you for all that <laughs> stuff. I just want to say. The um, blind leading the blind. Yeah, exactly. Here we are. We're just out here doing it. And, uh, but yeah. hey, look, it's a safe space for the blind to fall over. There's lots of padding on the floors. It's all fine. It's all fine. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so about a year ago, I wrote an article for Alma, which is a really wonderful, like, millennial Jewish uh, blog called Dungeons & Dragons Has an Anti-Semitism Problem, where I kind of laid out a lot of this stuff. Basically, when D&D took fantasy stuff wholesale from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it grabbed a lot of the stuff that was in Lord of the Rings that that was unexamined because uh, you know, Tolkien General Tolkien was a racist. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yep. Let's be let's put it out there and let's just call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? It, listen, I, I I don't want to say that on behalf of other people. I only have the thing here. I it's just like you never know when you run into a person but like every single year I watch Every single Christmas, I watch the extended cut of all the movies, and then oh, I read yeah. all the books from back so to front I. and front to back. They're great movies. I love them, but the dude was a racist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, fair to say, I, I don't think it would be fair to call him a racist necessarily relative to the other people that he was around yes. by all that much. Sure. I feel like it'd be more accurate to say he was a person He was a person who was alive in Britain in like the early 20, the first half of the 20th century, and exactly. very much drew from that in order to make Mm. stuff up, uh, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, racist. Specifically, what yeah. you're saying, Jeremy, is that he's compared to Nazis because that's when he was writing. Yes, like for that's example, very true. when, when a, there is a story of him of like the Nazi Germany reaching out to him and asking for like a translation of Lord of the Rings to turn into Germany. He's like, "No, I love Jews. They're my friends. I wouldn't do that." And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, compared to the Nazis, no. But yeah, exactly what Jeremy said is. The, the a, race yeah. essentialism, how every race in fantasy equals an actual type of person or race in mm-hmm. the mm. in the UK in 1920s. That's like that is kind of what we're reaching to. One is mm-hmm. the dwarves are Jews. Like J.R.R. Tolkien yeah. said okay. specifically, the dwarves are Jews. And like there are quotes, especially when you realize going from The Hobbit to Lord of the Rings, like the dwarves are very.
very, very ornery and stubborn and jerks in The Hobbit. And then, like, Gimli and all those folks are just, like, nicer. And it's kind of like Tolkien understanding Jews, especially as the ni- Europe just goes to the 1930s and 40s. Be like, oh, man, they're being – those people are going away. I wonder why. So, like, it kind of – saw his stance is softening up a little bit there. Um, so – but then, of course, like, D&D took that wholesale. We know that specifically because there was a lawsuit from the Tolkien estate telling D&D mm-hmm. to stop doing that. And that's why halflings are called halflings and not hobbits. That's why mm-hmm. uh, tree ants are not called are, – are instead of uh, – Yeah, instead of ants. So things oh, yeah. like that. So literally, there was a lawsuit. So we know that specifically. So the thing is about and then in fifth edition, like in the world now, books are being sold now. It has a lot of the stuff, even if they tweak this and people have been saying stuff to Wizards of the Coast for a very long time. I think the, the company needs to do a lot more to for, about shit all the, all the time about various time. issues. Mm-hmm. But like this is definitely something of their blind spot, uh, uh, definitely a blind spot for them. That they just like haven't examined because they think that they're like, oh, we appease the, the, the minorities who want me to do things. We're done. Stop it. Uh, stop telling me to do things. I'm a company. Let me make money. Go away. Um, Don't worry. You've done them all. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, we already did the things <laughs> you told me to do. Like, we changed. They're not explicitly gypsies anymore in Barovia. What else do you want? I don't know. Pick whatever ability schools you want, okay? Fine. Yes, exa- Fine. Exactly. exactly. You happy now? Yeah. Leave me alone. Mm. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, the dwarves are the dwarves. They're like, we can't really move away from that because it's like, yeah, they live in mountains. They like gold. I don't know. I can't get. I'm not going to get you to change this. But I think the thing that really gets stuck in my craw about this is the use of golem. The thing that that Jasper has talked about. So for those of you who don't know, the golem specifically is a creature from Jewish mythology. Um, during the pogrom, which is like in. Eastern Europe in like during the Crusades and all the times of like where all the Christians tried to get the Jews out of the various places in like the 18th century. There is a story of a rabbi in in Poland. The name there are very there are various um, golem stories, but the most famous one is like they went down to the river. They built a defender from from the mud of the river banks. Put the word of God on their head, and the golem beat back all of the people who were persecuting the Jews in the in the city at the time. So then Golem in the Monster Manual is pretty much interchangeable for construct or like mm-hmm. thing made out of material which is alive and mindless. Um I actually brought the Monster Manual with me because I really want to read some of this out because it's it's really ridiculous. Heck yeah, please do. Please do. Golems are made from humble materials, clay, flesh and bones, or iron and stone. But they possess no, they possess astonishing power and durability. A golem has no ambitions, needs no sustenance, feels no pain, and knows no remorse. An unstoppable juggernaut, it exists to follow in his creator's orders, and it protects or attacks as that creator demands. Not, not Mm. the same. Like, you can't, Mm. it's pretty much just Mm. like, and then, of course, they insert, because this is what Wizards does, this is what D&D does, fucking take something from folklore and puts it into, like, their planar mythology. They Mm -hmm. say that you need to build it out of whatever you have there, and then you need to take a spirit from the elemental plane of Earth. Like, 
I know. No, you can't just say that. You can't just take your planer <laughs> shit and put it into my thing. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. Also, golems are not constructs. There's a word for this in D&D. It's called construct, where it's something that's made and it is. Mm. it has, like, a, some autonomy. Maybe it follows or it follows orders, but it's not like a, it's not a humanoid. It doesn't have like mm-hmm. it's not a spe- it's not a spirit like Warforge. Mm. They're con- mm-hmm. they're constructs and like mm. robots come from golems. That's like a tradition. Is that like the uh, the idea the idea of the goal of the robot was come out of like Eastern Europe as like a metal go as a metal mm-hmm. metal golem. I actually have a tattoo of of a uh, of a little of a little robot Jewish robot golem on, on my oh, on my arm oh, here. That's cool. Um, so very cool. So uh, the thing, the thing that bothers me is that like there is a word for it already. It's called construct. You didn't need to do it, golem. But now since mm. you put it in your game, everyone keeps mm. calling shit anything that mind that is made out of something and mindlessly mm. follows a master's commands. A golem. Mm. That is not what a golem is. A golem is in is imbued with the spirit of a deity. You specifically Jewish, but if you want to put it in whatever fantasy thing you want, like at least they're, the inscribing the idea of language mm-hmm. creating life into this thing mm-hmm. and it is defending the people who from which created it there is very much a a uh, minority group needs protection from a rabid and attacking uh, majority and then the mm-hmm. golem is the thing that turns the tide and defends the people so like mm-hmm. if you incorporate those things into what you're doing then you then you got something there um mm. Also, like the golem itself, like it deals. Although it does follow the master's commands, there is always going to be some conflict there of being able to do that stuff. So there is some sort of like uh, autonomy or awareness of being told I need to do something. But it is certainly not mindless. It's not the juggernaut in this mm-hmm. way, which they explicitly say in this first paragraph here. And that really, it really bothers me. And I think it's it's endemic of the way that um, Wizard of the Coasts takes things from various people's folklore and jams it into their mythology uh, Mm -hmm. to make it fit or to make it sound cool. Because you can make it sound cool without whitewashing it and saying like, no, uh, Bahamut was there. Tiamat was there. Sorry. (laughs) This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, From grandmothers to new mothers. Aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an aura frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an aura frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. 
HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yeah, I, yeah this, is, this is, I was going to say the same thing because I've definitely noticed a lot of this in, throughout various different cultures. It draws from very, various different cultures mm-hmm. and it kind of, um, um, we actually did an episode on this recently with a sensitivity consultant, James Mendes-Hodes, and we were talking yes. of then about how um, when you draw from things that are so obviously something, you have to be more uh, sensitive to the, kind of the way that you depict that thing and how you choose to kind of portray it. And you can't... And I think it, you do absolutely, like you said, get into this really weird situation where if you take the bits that you want, you cherry pick the cool stuff, mm-hmm. or you know, in quotation marks, the stuff that you like, uh, and then you throw away the rest. You are just left with this really kind of icky, weird kind of feeling where you're not paying like homage to this thing, you're not paying tribute to this thing, and and kind of giving Jewish people a, like you know a little bit of representation, sure. which probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean for a Jewish person to be able to play? And to be able to summon a, a, a golem and, and have it protect their, you know, help them win a, in a battle or, or, you know, protect their their town and their people. Mm-hmm. I think that would actually be a really positive thing. But instead, you kind of just get this thing where you spread a bunch of kind of like half truths about something over here, and all the Jewish people are kind of let down and, and slightly pissed off about it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think we, we've we've definitely discussed it a lot. And I and I get and I by the sounds of it, you you're in a similar place where it's just like. It's just a lot of half stuff. You know what I mean? You could you can take this as the inspiration, but you can absolutely when you've gone this far away from it, call it something completely different. It's yeah. a construct. It's a mindless, you know, juggernaut, whatever it is. It's, a it's robot. absolutely not a. It's a robot. Mm. It's. A, you know what I mean, it's absolutely not that. Um, yeah. Don't I, do this weird halfway house where you sort of still take the name and then like I literally was researching the other day and was like, huh, Tiamat is just the name of a Babylonian goddess. I got two things. So the first thing is, it did not occur to me this connection until you just pointed it out. But the first time I ever heard the uh, like a golem story, it was uh, it was Rabbi Lowe and the the golem of Prague. That's the and one. Yes, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, and then the word robot is a Czech word. So like when you point mm-hmm. out like the connection, it's like oh yeah. Like the most famous, the most famous golem story comes from the Czech capital, and then out of that, eventually, you have Czech people coming up with a an idea based kind of on that, where you have robots, because it originally yeah. means slave, which is really closer mm. to what the that's mm. what like the that's what the Czech word means, and that's like what that's closer to what the D and D is doing. Yeah, yeah, there was a play from uh, from like the early uh, in the the turn of the century. 
um, the 1900s from the Czech Republic called the RUR, which was like a, an android in so many ways. Like the first me time, a robot was in media, and that is where it comes from. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the second thing was, it's funny you mentioned Bahamut, because uh, Jasper and I have been doing some research on uh, dragons and so forth recently. Uh, and they, I hadn't even, it didn't even occur to me uh, until uh, early, until you said that, and also slightly earlier today, that Bahamut is, in D&D, is based on an actual figure as well, who is probably a perversion of the Leviathan. Like, like yeah. they accidentally got the names wrong. Like, it's Bahamut is descended from Behemoth, but Bahamut or Bahamut is like a fish thing, which is mm -hmm. clearly more of a Leviathan reference. So it's like a Middle Eastern sort of like, like if you're just following the dissension, you have like the Middle Eastern uh, Leviathan or Jewish Leviathan getting turned into another, uh, like, I guess, creature, more accurately, uh, in Middle Eastern uh, religion and mythology and so forth. And actually, yeah. that's kind of where Tiamat, like the, the um, Tiamat is, you could argue, is like a parallel in some ways to Leviathan in that both of them are like examples of Chaos Kampf in that Leviathan is said to have lost a battle to Yahweh, the uh, Mesopotamian uh, um, storm god who eventually was combined with Al and becomes the Jewish god in in Judaism and uh, Tiamat fought Marduk. What Christians say is supposedly the name of God from the Torah. I want to be very clear. But you're you're making the point, Jeremy, that I think that you're circling here is also is the flattening of so many folklores of in various mm. pagan folk like especially mm -hmm. uh, Babylonian and the other things that you're, you've been mentioned you've been mentioning it is just the flattening to fit into the thing that you're looking for which is similar about what's happening in the monster manual or which I think is kind of the thing that we're reaching for is that the people who created the monster manual just like took the stuff it's like yeah I do want let me give me some of that Norse shit that I think is cool yeah, exactly. like give me some of this yeah. other shit and yeah. not examining like or I guess realizing what they were doing in the 70s but like at least the, the massive company that keeps pumping this out for dollars like let's at least examine it this is why people want your stuff to change because you're profiting off of it you keep selling it and mm -hmm. saying that like well I'm gonna keep fucking pumping out three books a year and asking you for dollars but the least you could do is like not put a thing in that I that I think is wrong or like is is like hey this is from this is descend your tradition of descend of the text of where it came from in the 70s like it, it's not great I don't it doesn't make me feel good it's it's such a shame as well because like people will be um, putting these monsters into their session and stuff and right. not even thinking about the fact that it might really offend somebody when they're like they put it into a game and it's like just let people be aware of what they're creating and what story they're telling. Right. If, if the expectation, it's very tricky because the expectation mm -hmm. of D and D, you can play whatever game you want in in your mm -hmm. with any tabletop RPG, you can play whatever game you want at your table. But like if you're selling a book that someone is supposed to buy and use the Forgotten Realms mythology like you look at it a little bit yeah i 100 percent agree mm. with you olivia i think i think a lot of it as well uh is just a little bit of and it, it, this sounds more harsh than i intend it to but no, it's like a little go, bit of laziness Jasper. do you know what i mean it's like a little bit of laziness in the sense that they had so mm -hmm. much content there right packaged yeah. ready to go you got lord of the rings you had this you had you know it's all everything that was made in the 70s everything that was made in the 80s 90s da, 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 and it all kind of built up and it's just like hey we've got a great library of stuff let's just mm -hmm. reprint this put it in a book send it out it'll be fine 
you know, instead of like, okay, why don't we get a team of people together, look through all of this shit and be like, okay, what actually in here do we need to re-examine? Do we need to change? What is, you know, like it, 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 it is baffling to me the idea that Wizard of the Coast, owned by Hasbro, doesn't have the capabilities to have uh, to hire a Jewish person and be like, right, yeah. can you have a look through this? Hire someone who is an expert on like uh, um, you know uh, South African uh, you know traditions, literally for like a couple of weeks, you know, and just yeah. say, here's some of our materials. You're an expert in this kind of stuff. Can you have a comb through and see what stuff we would need to change? Um, you know, because I think having done this show has really illuminated just how easy it is like we always try to give Mm -hmm. like very simple solutions like you've already given a very simple solution right if you want to avoid the golem thing if you want to avoid potentially playing on this um uh kind of like you said like flattened kind of weird version of jewish uh, mythology uh, and history don't uh just don't you don't have to use this word you can find Mm -hmm. other ways around it you can use constructs for instance or you can use you know you can uh, go much more specific to the sort of traditional telling of what a golem is etc and i think that's always the point for me where I just get a little bit like, I get a little angry, I get a little spicy because I'm always just a bit like, why? Like if we can sit here and in 40 minutes come up and suggest with very simple and easy to find solutions, it surely can't be that much more difficult to get you to do it considering mm-hmm. you're a multi-billion dollar company, you know? I I will spend the rest of this time talking about this stuff if and like what <laughs> how I wish they would change and all of, and and all of those things. Uh, it's just like it is just something that that yeah I I very much agree. And when someone says something, just just make the change. But in, instead, you chose not to. I will get so pulled into this to this thing. But I think that something that's that's fun or interesting for me, I guess, when we're talking about the storytelling of Dungeons and Dragons, is like let hey let's talk about alignment for a second. The idea mm-hmm. of good and neutral and evil and the immutability of that and the way that you can do an action that will change your alignment. There's like some storytelling that is so incredible that I just don't understand. There's something so very Christian in, imbued in this that like the thing you're mm-hmm. doing and then you are a bad person who does it. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of storytelling that like follows like these these traditional fantasy tropes that are steeped in the idea of like some things that are good and like you know someone show someone showing up to redeem everyone I, I mean that's is how many times does that show up in our storytelling and like that that is truly only Jesus like that that's his, that's his whole thing is <laughs> <laughs> going to redeem and save everyone and maybe he dies and maybe he comes back like I know that we talk about the Jesus figure all the time in in fantasy I mean the, from anywhere from the from the Matrix to uh, to Star Wars, like I know that that's true, but I guess like it's something that I think about a lot, and the ambiguity of being a, and being able to do something that's a little bit different. I mean, it's it's very fun to do it and join the party to think about the the more shades of gray, to think about ways to examine how characters relate to each other and uh, conflict happens that are outside like traditional ideas of of our storytelling and storytelling tropes. Um, mm. So no, it's fun. I think, it's fun. And I think, to be honest, that's a source of a lot of stickiness. It, like for me, like the alignment system and the the fact that that still exists as a prism for reference for us when we play this game yeah. is still the source of stickiness for me because actually I think I would feel a lot better about some of the stuff that's in these books that I have a problem with at the moment if there wasn't this kind of outright idea of good versus evil because mm. for me, there is something so inherently, you know, one of my main issues with the draft 
brow is the fact that yeah, still described as having an evil alignment. We're just talking about dark skinned elves. Like, yeah. do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. It's like there's an issue there. There's an issue there that you're inherently saying this thing is evil. The fact that golems are described as these kind of indestructible, um, you know, indestructible kind of rampaging monsters that cannot be stopped. It's like that's an issue, right? It's taking this mm-hmm. like absolutism, and I think that like even just taking that language out, which seems to be honest, so unnecessary and kind of shackling for a DM mm-hmm. or a player to like tell you how to play this game where the basis of the game is do whatever you want it doesn't even seem like it needs to be there you know what i mean like i don't i really genuinely don't think i've ever really gained anything by looking at the alignment if it's a monster it's gonna try and kill my players it doesn't really matter whether it's an evil or a good monster like it's there it has a thing maybe it wants a thing from the players or the players want something from it something's gonna happen they're gonna fight it doesn't really matter whether that thing is good or evil like the players will find out for themselves like that's the point and so I think a lot of that language is something that is just... I mean, we've, we literally constantly talk about it on here, but it's just we have to examine the necessity for that stuff. Because it just doesn't feel like there is, it is, it is necessary. I think it kind of, to some degree, depends on the game, though. Like, because, uh, for example, in Lord of the Rings, I don't think it's an issue for most people to, for, to identify Sauron as a bad guy. Like, I think sure. the issue sure. is when you start mm-hmm. trying to assign it to the people I, I yeah. even if Sauron is a guy mm. he chose to be that way and very much is that way now and mm. I think where a lot of people at least what I've heard where people will sometimes use the D&D alignment system is in regards to uh, people who have m- made actual decisions the issue right. comes when you try and slap it onto a whole category of person but if we're saying mm. like if the process to become a lich involves you performing various atrocities the sure. a person who is going to intentionally mm. go through this process is probably going to be evil uh, yeah. especially because it, like you know it, it kind of makes you that way the issue comes if you're going to say oh all the elves of this category are bad uh, which is, sure, is sure, absolutely yeah, yeah. where that falls through right. but I don't think that I don't know like I feel like in if you have a cat I don't know like um most fiction dealing with like evil empires for example or does not spend a lot of time saying well this ideology is evil and the people leading this group are evil but let's focus in on all of the good people who were part of this machine mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is valid like I think it, you can do a valid story but like it, I think it's also depending on the story you're trying to tell like uh, I don't think it's useful in in for example most holocaust movies to focus in on all the nice Nazis oh, like sure. I'm sure there was somebody <laughs> who was in the Nazi <laughs> party who may have been a reasonable person out of the thousands or millions but who cares like that's not the point (laughs) the point of the story is is the bad things that happened and we're trying to stop the people doing the bad things now i do agree that to some that it can be overly reductive to just slap evil onto like i guess well this is where i'm coming from as a christian it feels kind of (laughs) like hey but it's sometimes it's good to say that bad things are bad uh, like, and I, I think the issue that we're having is what you're trying to ultimately complain about is the overuse of the dichotomy of like saying yes. you're either good, mm. you're either bad, uh, or you're a robot and neutral, uh, yep. or something yeah. like that, but <laughs> yeah. you're either good or bad yeah. and all these people are bad. All these people are good. There is no nuance allowed. Mm. And that I completely agree with, uh, yes. in terms yeah. of uh, it's cause it's way over applied. It's, it's way, it's, way over applied. 
All, all I'm saying, it's about the dogma of it and understanding is, and I, I ja- Jasper, I was, I'm actually, we talked about this a little bit in the kickback that we're about to do. I, yeah, I was talking about how the difference between Christmas in the United States and in the UK and in the United mm. States, it's like, well, everyone can have a religion, but like. Christianity is best. <laughs> and in the UK, it's like, wait, you're not celebrating Christmas? What? That is, I'm so, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean any sense. That doesn't make any sense to me. And it's more about yeah. just being aware that, like, there are, di- yes, it's about putting the label on it and immediately labeling people based on, like, you do good things and you do bad things, and that's it. And I, mm. like, we can have a whole conversation about what sin means and all <laughs> those different conversations <laughs> about, like, goodness and mm. badness. It's more like I've noticed how those things have kind of seeped into storytelling especially in like relying on traditional narratives that are very that are just like easy and people are reaching for like you know like uh, like yeah let's put a crusade in this story let's put a crusade in this story or like yeah. the idea With that no the dominant religion of what the crusades were like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like let's yeah. or the uh, the dominant religion in your fantasy story is just like reskinned catholic church like those are the things that I mm. I spent a lot. I'm like I don't understand this, and then I realize oh it's it's this thing I never was a part of that totally makes sense. So mm-hmm. those are the thing. Yeah. That's the things that I'm pointing to. I'm also not saying it's bad. It's more like you can't just pour the same ingredients into the stew and tell me mm. it's a new story. Like mm-hmm. that's the yeah. thing that that I'm I'm reaching for, and I just want. I'm trying to try trying to make people, or I'm trying to like understand and wrap my head around and and talk about mm-hmm. a little bit. I think uh, this is something that happens so often in this podcast that we bring people on and we have, you know, Jeremy here to make sure that uh, they can make intelligent points out of the things that ramble out of my mouth, which is really, really useful, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and and I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are here uh, in order to do that and to catch those things. Um, but uh, just to, I guess, to um, uh, kind of wrap up on, on this point, and I, I would be interested to hear what what the other um, halflings and, and you think, Eric, which is that I think uh, for me personally, I think the, the the good versus evil kind of argument purely does boil down to the just the lack of nuance that does exist within it. Mm. And I think that the biggest, the, the biggest loss for me that I find is in the social mechanics is that mm. I think that it allows for such a, uh, a lack of kind of... Um, uh, again, if you're kind of playing the game in a in a very kind of in a much more rigid way, because I think there's even scenarios where like even Sauron, like you know, if you're playing like an evil campaign, or, like, even if you were playing an evil campaign, you walk up to Sauron, you'd be like, "Whoa, this guy's evil even for us." You know what I mean? Like he's, "Ooh, this is a bit far, dude." You know what I mean? Are you sure? You know, and I think that even that that having those levels for me feels like such an intrinsic part of my. Uh, D&D experience and a lot of the D&D experience that a lot of people I know have had that it feels like such a shame that we're still so steeped in it and not only that but it comes with the extra baggage of uh, y- you know like X race is good, X race is bad, etc, etc. That's what I think about yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, I feel like you could have a you could have a city of evil people, you know mm. what I mean? Like you could just, you know it could be a real just crappy place where everyone's yeah. really angry all Nobody the time and, and whatever kicking, like that's fine kicking all but sorts like, of things trash and whatnot over I don't yeah. know that's not very or an evil, organization but that's what I, I think organization <laughs> is easier because yes. then it's a buy it's mm-hmm. an opt-in 
situation. Because yes. you mm, could just yeah. be born in a city. And True. you're just like, True. here I am, just trying to live my life. And then it's like, well, sorry, bro. I don't know. Have you been to London? I mean, there's people rude. Uh, but, uh, yeah, people as, people as a citizen rude. of this city, unfortunately, you were just automatically evil. Uh, whereas it's yeah. like, I'm going mm. to join this particular organization. It's like, well, that's a bad organization. <laughs> and you should, you are there evil for Evil co. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> This actually reminds me a lot of. Um, have you guys ever, have you guys seen Inside Job? Uh, yeah, so a, good. Yeah, it's so good. It's like an animated mm. uh, show on Netflix, basically, oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they uh, where it's like the Illuminati is real, and mm. every single conspiracy theory you could imagine, it's like this like team of people. It's like their job to make sure it continues, and that people like you know, mm. it's like chemtrails and all of that kind of stuff. It's all basically just it comes out of this team, um, and they're the ones that put them out. And uh, there's, I think his name's Brett. I might be wrong, but he's basically this really happy guy that's just like, hi, I get paid an experience. Uh, and he's just like this really happy, kind of really nice guy in the middle of like literally the most evil corporation uh, in the world. Uh, but I think you'd probably still have to say that Brett is is pretty evil uh, given yeah. the fact that the, mm -hmm. the things that he does despite his cheery demeanor despite him um, being a good boy he's still evil yes despite him being a very good boy he's still yeah. evil yeah. unless there was a dog there in which case screw you all that's yeah, still exactly. a good boy the dog is a good boy they mm -hmm. are good I think the, the thing that I'm I just saying is like I think just moving away from I agree with what Jeremy's saying is that like mm. on one hand yes organizations and the things you do are what show who you are as are what you show who you are as a person but I think that the things that are bo that it, that bother me are the starkness between one and the other being assigned mm. it at birth is what I understand yeah. to be what original sin mm. is it's yeah. truly that and that idea and of course like then the dog, the society or the organization that runs the, the the place that you're in. When we talk about like the pervasiveness of uh, many different religions, but you know, easy one to reach to is is the church and and those things. So I'm talking about on a societal level. But again, what Jeremy is saying is like if you sit down and you're at a table with ten Nazis, there are eleven Nazis at the table. Like mm -hmm. that's also part of it. So it, it, I just want to I'm pushing on that and complicating it because it's also something that I see in like stories now that just like mix me and I'm like well we could have done that you could have done something different that wasn't just like mm -hmm. reaching for the same the same ingredients every single time um, mm -hmm. and also just like I think assigning things good and evil just from the jump unless like you know the villain's the villain the villain does bad things and like that mm -hmm. is something that kind of wrinkles my brain and, and understanding when you see like you know values that are expressed in that ways I, I'm also talking about like in general if you're Christian mm -hmm. out there and you're an individual you're fine. I'm not talking to you in general. <laughs> I'm talking about like in the the way that especially America and Christian are are mm -hmm. the same in so many ways. Um, mm -hmm. Is something yeah. that really bothered that like when you say American and really it's something Christian or the other way around um, is something that just like wrinkles my brain quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Wrinkles my brain. That is a, a nice uh, phrase which I shall be using. Um, mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that is uh, what which this conversation shows though is that the, like this isn't a this isn't a simple uh, subject this isn't a uh, a subject um, when talking about religion or race or anything like this within your games is not something that can just be 
there's not like a one shoe fits all one, like a catch all for everything. And like, as we always say, it's about having a really good uh, conversation with your players. Um, and I think that the uh, the issue for us, and cor- correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, usually lies in just like, uh, it would be nice to know that some of these conversations were happening in other places outside of just like, yes. you know, shows and podcasts and things. But actually the decision makers um, who are in charge of kind of like propagating and, and selling, like you said, earning cold hard cash uh, off of um, making those kind of decisions. It'd be nice to know that those conversations are also happening uh, similarly to these ones. Uh, uh, I'm here. I absolutely love the idea of getting you know things wrong. You can hire me. I am a con- I am a consultant. I have rates. Hire me. I'm right here, dog. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Go get Eric. Well, go Eric, get Eric. I'm right here. How would you? Yeah. How would you? How would you reform the way that D and D has Good has question. ripped mm. Jew? Uh, not Jews. Oh my goodness. Golems. <laughs> uh, Jewish mythology and stuck mm-hmm. golems into the uh, into the their framework, uh, free of like its actual heritage, essentially. It is an interesting question. Uh, first of all, uh, you can hire me. Uh, I have my right right here. <laughs> you, just, just, you, know, ready. Uh, you can instead of pick my brain. But I think yeah, what what we said there are there are some pretty easy fixes right here, which I don't even know if will be necessarily meaningful. Um, because again, easy fixes are not meaningful because you could have done the easy fix the first time and you didn't. Mm-hmm. Is that either change the name of Golem to something else, or in the monster manual thing? change the way the folklore is written saying like yes because like again cherry picking right Mm -hmm. some things are kind of i see where they're going here but other things are just like totally wrong so it would be like this is from a deity you took over the war and there's the the idea of language turning into uh language turning into life so inscribing a name or a symbol Mm. somewhere uh, somewhere on there um from a deity whoever it is instead of from this elemental plane of earth mm-hmm. uh, which really feels like there's such a self-insert there from them it just every time i think about it is just something so frustrating and like you can see that they're kind of reaching for stuff because the types of golems in the monster manual are clay stone flesh and iron so like you have clay and stone mm-hmm. are pretty close flesh is the frankenstein thing because frankenstein mm-hmm. is a golem and mm-hmm. uh the iron golem which is pretty close to robot so like but also like the flesh golem is so nasty like i don't know if you've looked at that photo <laughs> yeah. but it's like it is like necromancy it is truly necromancy yeah. Yeah. and like that's yeah, not what cool. we're going for here uh, it's like if if they were trying to be a little more intentional, they could just rewrite this thing. And it, again, I don't think it would take that that big of that much time. Uh, but no. you know, it's up to them whether or not they want to do that. They want to capitulate to the many people out there who buy their books and hate SJWs. If they want to risk, if they hire someone and then listen to them because they say, but it's is it the is it Dungeons and Dragons, which is something that like. Chris Perkins has been quoted to have saying uh, before, so it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't even if I was even if I was hired, and even if I even if they paid me, and even mm-hmm. if I told them and I spent the time, would they listen to me? And would yeah. they make the changes that would I would make? I I can only imagine all of the people who have talked to people at Wizards probably felt that way as well. I remember when Austin Walker was hired by them, and then he 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 bailed out, and then he said he was hired by them, and like no one was listening to what he was saying. Like you know, I'm sure everyone has to everyone has to deal with that always. And the various examples that y'all have covered on this show, like when eventually they bring in a minority person to say, "Hey, fix this." 
is it is it mouth service and then they or do they actually go and go and do it that's just like the thing that's always so that i always think about a lot is like hmm. for 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 all for all stripes and all types of people like do you bring you bring it in to check the box and how much do you actually hurt hear the person when they whatever they said in that email which is on the wizard servers you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's somewhere there you just need to dust it off because someone made some good notes on that meeting you should go and reread them check it over mm-hmm. you know assimilate a couple of those points it wouldn't hurt it definitely yeah. wouldn't hurt to do that <laughs> So I think we genuinely I think this is a topic that we could discuss for for days on end, True. and I think this is only touching upon one uh, religion, <laughs> you know, and one <laughs> facet of that religion. You know what I mean? Uh, that has been the source of this entire conversation. There's clearly so much that needs unraveling here, and you know, I uh, as frequently I do at, at, when I get to these uh, points in these discussions, I just go, maybe they should just start again. You know what I mean? I feel like they could just they yeah. just start again. You know what I mean? Build it from the ground up. It'd be cool. It'd be a very very cool thing um but uh we uh would we have to because it is obviously tradition uh on uh this show eric is we have to ask you for a tale from the table uh this can be anything it can be a truly uh wild and uh, bonkers story it can be emotional and heartfelt it can be it can truly uh be anything that you like but something that is memorable from a uh table uh, ttrpg experience that you have had oh this is such a good question I was going to pivot away from this and say it's been really odd for me because all of my the, almost all of my DMing has been on a microphone. Uh, <laughs> like I started yeah. to, like almost all yeah. of my DMing started with join the party campaign one. We went all the way through in campaign two. I started like a little game with some other people just to, like kind of keep my mind my my rep sharp. It's funny like I I do see DMing like it's sports. Like I view myself <laughs> like I view myself like I'm in the gym putting up reps. When I'm like yeah. DMing for friends, yeah. not on a microphone. Oh, you can feel it when you get back into it. When you dip a toe back into it that first time, you feel yourself pulling a hammy. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, yep, that wasn't. That I shouldn't have waited for that voice immediately. <laughs> Uh, so it's very fun so like the things that I want to say are all things that we've done on on a microphone I think this is something that I was very proud of is when I my players get the best jokes and join the party episodes from like scenarios that I've built out because I I very much see DMing like I was a high school teacher Uh, I got my my high school my English education degree I was a high school English teacher for a year all the way out in Brooklyn I stopped doing it because um, there was a grade fixing scandal at my high school and I got very disillusioned Whoa. very fast. So, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. so I, I do see DMing very much like I did teaching is that like you are there the, the, to student it's it's not you're not there for you you're there if you don't communicate the thing to the students you're doing a bad job as a teacher and that's how I feel as a DM is like if your if your players don't have opportunities to flourish and to shine and to do wild shit and to say funny things then like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing of course also as a teacher if you told me I was doing a great job I would love it I would fucking lap it up I put in a bottle and drink it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's all yeah, I want absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. uh, so I think that's something that I. Uh, that one of my favorite moments from Joy the Party in Campaign 2 is Campaign 2, we are doing like a modern superhero story. Uh, it is set in Lake Town City, which is a uh, a very small town in upstate New York that a, uh, a mad scientist discovered a new element up there, which then made the small town grow into a metropolis in the span of like 25 years. Now it's like the size of Portland, Oregon, like of multiple hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, um, sure, I have total head reference. Yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. 
I think I said Paul to you Norgan, once yeah. that it was the size of uh, it was either the size of Manchester or the size I think of Glasgow. Edinburgh, didn't you? I think he said, oh, yeah, maybe it was Glasgow. Maybe, yeah, it was Glasgow, Glasgow, yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's so uh, no. uh, one of my favorites, so uh, one of our players is using a druid subclass that I, I uh, homebrewed called uh, the, uh, the Circle of Spirits. So his domain is is death. Uh, so he went in and talked to his god of death. Um and I will tell you, it wasn't the god of death, and you might think. You might think. Um, I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, but they went there, and they had a whole conversation. And they hung out, um, and then <laughs> and he uh, and he came back. And he came back. And the first thing that one of my other players said uh, is Val, played by Julia, who is like from Little Italy, is a barbarian, is a barbarian, and just like <laughs> just like five feet tall of rage, of rage, all mm-hmm. put together, and also like very. Uh, a, uh, Roman Catholic came back and like, what you talk to Saint Peter? How is he? <laughs> Especially we did like we did like forty five minutes of role playing with a different god of death, and the first thing Val said was, "What you saw Saint Peter?" <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and I I really I just really I really love that. Um, if you like more of those things, you can listen to the party. I it's yes! I, I wish yeah. I had more. I told you the good ones, which is Julia cry, which is Julia crying. That's always the one that I usually share. Is that I? <laughs> sure, I, sure. We already got yeah. that one in early. We yeah. got that one in early. <laughs> I think this is like really cool though that your tale from the table is like setting up somebody else to do something funny. I think that's really cool. Like mm-hmm. that shows like that you're a really good DM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Olivia. And, and Eric is a very very good DM, which leads me into recommending that everyone go and listen to join the party. Um, because it's a really really fantastic actual play show uh, which I have had a lot of fun listening to I was literally telling Eric before we started recording that JTP is one of the few actual plays that I still listen to because now I do actual plays I don't have as much time to listen to actual plays uh, but JTP is always uh, downloaded on my phone ready to go Uh, so I thank you for that but the important thing is, where can people find JTP and the stuff that you do, Eric, including you, on the Intento webs? Wonderful. Thank you, Jasper. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-I-L-V-E-R-O. It's my name if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler. Um, you, that's where I am on Twitter. You can find Join the Party wherever podcasts are sold, and you can find us on Twitter at Join the Party Pod. Nice. That just reminded me, I was watching a video of greatest uh, Royal Rumble entrances uh, the other day, and uh, it was when Rey Mysterio came back, I think, in like 2015 or 2016 or something. Ah, man, I lost my damn mind when that happened. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, you can find us. Oh, yes. I just want to say, Campaign 2 is is careening towards the end of Campaign 2 of the superhero story. We have really interesting ideas of what we're going to do next, so uh, this is peak time for you to marathon all of the episodes of Campaign 2 and to catch up when we uh, start wrapping up this and then we're going to go do some other stuff. And it's worth mentioning as well, JTP is like the easiest actual play to listen to. That It is so smooth. Mm. Like, this show is so well edited. It sounds so premium. Like, to the point where you sit there at times and like, am I listening to an actual play or is this just like a damn good radio play? Yeah. Like, it is so, so good and smooth to listen to. So uh, do not be uh, put off by the idea of having to catch up. It is, that is only a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, not, I'm not taking f- shots at anyone, but look, Critical Role, there's a lot of hours and it's just a lot. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just a lot. That's all I'm saying. That's uh-huh. all I'm saying. It's a lot. It's a uh-huh. lot. I love it. But give me, give me a Cliff Notes version. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, um, you can find us at three uh, black halflings. That is the number three black halflings on Twitter. Uh, you can follow 
I believe Jeremy Cobb at uh, Jeremy Cobb one on Twitter. That's uh, Cobb with two B's and the number one. Woo! And you can follow Olivia at at Does Dark Magic on Twitter. Woohoo! And you can follow me at JW underscore Cartwright if you like uh, me and if you like Eric. We're doing a kickback, uh, which will be over on our Patreon uh, in uh, less than a week. It'll be out the Saturday after you listen to this, uh, unless you listen to this after that Saturday, in which case it's already out. But, you know, time is weird and it's hard to do that kind of thing when you're recording a podcast and, uh, you know, this is being released in the future and you're hearing my voice at a later date than today. So... Uh, with all of that time weirdness out of the way, uh, we want to thank once again our guest Eric Silver for joining us this week. And uh, thank you all for listening, of course. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Three Black Halflings, and we will see you next week. So long, Shire Folk! So long, Shire Folk. So long, Shire Folk. Mom, get off the phone! Quick. <laughs> 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 It is about that time that we thank some amazing people who have signed up to the Three Black Halflings Patreon uh, recently. I want to say a huge thank you to all the people that have signed up because you are helping us to get towards our stretch goal, which is to create a mini Outlaws and Obelisks source book. It is going to be truly epic. We are less than 100 patrons away, so please keep spreading the love and the news, and we will get there in no time. I also want to say that I looked recently and found out that on the Patreon you get, there is over 190 posts on there. Exclusive episodes, bonus content, ad-free episodes. There is so much goodness on there. So now is a good time as any to go ahead and check out the Patreon. But without further ado, I have some amazing people to thank. Starting with, okay, here we go. We've got a name here. I can do this. I can do this. William Strapsjewski. Nope, that was close, but not quite. William Strapsjewski. I think. Strupjuski. I think. William Strupzuski, please tell me how to pronounce your name properly. Uh, I think I was roughly somewhere in the same uh, ballpark. But thank you, William, for signing up to the Patreon. We also have Max Weinberg, Colin Davis, Mark Zepp, Emmy Webb, Isabel S., Aaron M., Dread Ninja, Stephen Byers, Jonathan Dana, Ben, Kyle Perry, Nicholas Kozak, Elijah 64, Michael Trebner, send me Geoff, <laughs> Brian Odeen, Wyatt Ferguson, Gavin Pearson, Paul the Traveling Salesman, that your receipt is a card from the deck of many things. Wow, what a way to uh, end out there. Thank you so much to all those people that signed up to Patreon. Like I said, there is so much content over on the Patreon available to you right now, and you can sign up for as little as £2 or $3, I think, per month. Wild. So cheap. So, such so a cheap. Go check it out. Uh, we love you very much, and thank you so much for your support. That was a HeadGum Podcast.